Welcome to The Rock Podcast. We've begun studying Ecclesiastes, which is one of the most unique and intriguing books in the Bible. King Solomon is reflecting on some of his backsliding years, and he's going to try to convince you to live with an eternal perspective by proving to you how meaningless life is without God at the center. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we're reminded to look to Jesus for our joy and purpose in life. Let's get our Bibles open and our hearts open as well. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing of spiritual or eternal worth. So we ask, Father God, for the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, to open the eyes of our understanding, that we can also hear your voice in our particular situation in our life and what's going on in, in, in us tonight, how this word applies. In Jesus' name, amen. So the preacher, that's what Ecclesiastes means. It's from the Latin for preacher. The preacher is trying to make a point, a point that he is going to hammer and hammer for 12 consistent chapters A sobering but very true point that life is totally meaningless without God. Just going around in circles, a lot of movement, but actually not going anywhere. Life without God at the center. The creator of all things, it makes sense that if you disconnect from God, who is the source of all life, then life diminishes in its quality, right? Uh, You know, if um, the preacher who is King Solomon, were preaching in this day, he might use as a sermon illustration one of those time-lapse uh, videos of uh, a busy city. I've, I managed to find a minute of one, uh, so you'll have to um, be polite and pay attention and check this out. So this is what chapter one was all about. day, week after week, month after month, year after year, 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You get a morning, evening, morning, evening. And he makes this point that life under the sun, and that's the key phrase in Ecclesiastes, life under the sun is broken. Life as we know it, stuck in this circular, repetitive, monotonous, and meaningless cycle. And uh, like a hamster in a cage, a lot of motion, a lot of energy. It, it seems like something's happening, but actually he's going nowhere. And this is the point. Without God, under the sun is the earth, the world without God. Uh, and trying to do anything, even nature tells you that it's broken. So chapter 1 uh, did uh, had that message. And Romans chapter 8, I mentioned this last week, is that God subjected the universe and the, this earth to frustration and futility. The word there is he, he, the bondage of decay, the curse of the fall is over the earth and over human existence. And it, he did that in hope that we would, in frustration, find life in him through the gospel. And so it's a, he, uh, we talked about it last time he, he was saying in chapter one. So just here's some context before we dive into chapter two. He's saying round and round we go. It's like a big merry-go-round. The earth is, is constantly moving, but coming back to the same place every 24 hours. And so even the sun, moon, and stars in their courses above are circling and circulating and going Nowhere. Snow melt becomes streams, streams become rivers, rivers go into the sea, and then it starts the cycle all over again. And he says, likewise, human beings are like that. Kingdoms will rise and kingdoms fall, civilizations come and go, and the human condition really remains much the same. You're born, you appear as a little blip, a mist, a nothing, then you die never to be remembered again. Praise the Lord. <laughs> or so he says, no. Uh, he says, what's done will be done again. There's nothing new. And uh, this is getting us nowhere that is without God. He just says, what's the point? What's the point? So uh, to sum up chapter one in just a couple sentences, he says, I tried to figure it out with the extraordinary wisdom that God gave me. I dedicated myself to this search and I journaled it. And I want to save you the time and trouble and the money. And that if you're looking for meaning or purpose or contentment out under the sun, not above the sun where God is, Without an eternal perspective, you're going to be very disappointed because he says, I came up totally empty. And now we found out that it's not through worldly wisdom that we find any life. Uh, so maybe it's in pleasure seeking. Maybe it's the good life. Uh, so let's check that out. Chapter two. I thought in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what's good. <laughs> But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. 
I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. <laughs> I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, servants, and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when... When I surveyed all that my hands had done and when I had toiled to achieve, everyone, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And so verses 1 through 11. So here we have worldly wisdom failed in chapter 1. And so now he's going to show us the emptiness of pleasure-seeking. So note-takers, the emptiness of pleasure-seeking. So how about worldly pleasure? So we say worldly pleasure because it's a pleasure um, of the world. It's divorced from God. And so the preacher sets out to test its possibility of finding contentment or meaning in having a good time and living the good life. So let's join him on his search, he's going to go down some roads and some paths that we can relate with and resonate with for sure. And so uh, let the games begin here. He says, I, I went on this quest to find meaning and purpose, uh, contentment along the way. And really, as I said, to spare you a wasted life. And so as one commentator said, his name is Eaton. He said, pleasure-seeking cannot quench man's spiritual thirst. And spoiler alert, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test myself, and I'm going to journal, and I'm going to tell you uh, every door I knocked on, but just so you know, it all comes out meaningless. So he tells you right away uh, before we even get started in verse 1. Heads up, it's, it's all for naught. So, so testing... It's not so much testing pleasure as is he's testing his heart. He's testing himself. He's saying, I, I, I just, miss, something's missing. Something's wrong. What is it? Can it be A, B, or C if I try these things, uh, live this kind of life, have this kind of worldview? Uh, will I feel any better? I remember um, being a missionary in Japan. We did some work uh, there in Kanazawa. A little, we went to church, a little Japanese Methodist church. There must have been 25 people there. And uh, it was a wonderful little, uh, tiny little church. And it was nice to be able to encourage them. I remember sitting next to a man named Watanabe-san. And uh, he didn't speak a word of English. So I had a translator. And I said, tell me your story. You're so, 
It's so strange to see a Japanese man with his wife and five kids, all in a Christian church. And uh, he said, and I'll never forget it, he said with this big smile through the translator, he said, I had a big hole in my heart and Jesus filled it. I just had this big hole in my heart. That's the test. He said, I got this big hole in my heart. I'm going to test and go down the roads uh, afforded to me in this life and see what can fill that hole. But it's a God-shaped hole, as we know, and nothing's going to do that. And so... Anyway, so he, he starts out this uh, thing, pleasure-seeking, uh, and here's the dead-end list. It begins with laughter, interestingly. He says, uh, what is it accomplished in verse 2? What is it accomplished to laugh in that kind of um, enjoyment? Well, it's nice to have a chuckle, right? But after the tickle, you're still in a pickle. <laughs> That's his problem with it is because he's talking here about a superficial joy, right? So that often masks a lot of grief and pain. Um, One pastor, Ross Ryman, put it this way. (laughs) Open a door to any bar in America. Your ears will be met with a roar of laughter. But it goes without saying that laughter is not an accurate reflection for the quality of the lives that most of those folks are living. Now, Jesus said, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will be weeping and grieving. What did he mean by that? He's saying saying this. How sad is it when you go through life distracted and entertaining yourself with this kind of... um, frivolity at the expense of the serious matter and condition of your soul. The self-indulgent entertainment, uh, instead, your heart is crying out for meaning and purpose in God because that's why you were created. And instead, you know, you just entertain yourself to death. And uh, that is really what is going on mostly in the West, for sure. So without fixing the problem, he says, laughter and a good time is really kind of like throwing a party on the Titanic. All right, you can have, come on, think about that. All right, you can have a good time on the Titanic. You can do a lot of stuff. But in the end, guess what? Anything that goes on on that boat, anything, think of it, just think of, invent something. Anything, how rich you are, how much is in the safe, what you look like, what you're wearing, what you're doing, what you're experiencing, how many degrees you have, how beautiful your wife is, how big the house. It's all meaningless because you're on the Titanic. That's his point, is that it's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. So what's the point? Without God, without God, if you're on a sinking ship, and you are, It's only a matter of time before the heart stops. That's his point. This is a gospel track, ladies and gentlemen. Ecclesiastes is a gospel track to the emptiness and the frustration and and the fear of death that hangs over every human being that makes anything you do in life meaningless because you're not going to be around much to enjoy any of it because you're going to be gone. 
in a matter of a blink of an eye. And so, so the good news is the gospel fixed the problem. Here comes the gospel, laughter, joy, uh, is in Christ. Uh, look, I've got a couple cross-references here. Uh, look what the New Testament says. Once you fix the problem, there's a lot of joy and laughter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So of course there's this joy that's crazy about so many things in life because why? The threat of death is gone. Death has been swallowed up, so you can have joy. You can have purpose. Uh, you're on a different, you're on the good ship salvation now instead of the Titanic. Amen? As for the rich in this present age, that would be us, because we're rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So there's uh, God wants us to enjoy, He wants us to be happy, He wants us to laugh. Once we have come to him, but not to be seeking the pleasure. Because when you seek the pleasure, you're not going to get it. When you seek God and a Christ-centered life, he makes sure that he gives you all things to enjoy. So it's not about being down about laughing or having a good time, because Christians ought to have the best time in the world and be happy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have joy. This is the reason I'm telling you all these things is that my joy would be in you and that you uh, would have a fullness of that joy. So verses 1 through 11, here, here they're the antithesis of the design of life. And so there's a cause for des despair and emptiness because it's inside out living. It's self-centered living and self-centered gratification. And no wonder the despair. You know, now you can see it mildly. Check this out. Selfish ambition, James chapter 3, verse 16 says, selfish ambition to live for self is, is, the, uh, is filled with chaos and every evil practice. Filled with chaos to live for self. Now check out the myselfs here. I wanted to see what was, uh, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds. I made reservoirs here. I, uh, there's another uh, myself in here, you know, uh, gold for myself. I, but the King James, which is word for word translation, not thought for thought, like the NIV. Let me show you the word for word. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in all of them and all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens. I gathered me also silver and gold. I got me men singers. Does that show you why this dude is so miserable? He's so miserable because that is not how God designed life. And everybody's running around, you know, what's in it for me? Here are my needs in the marriage. I got me needs, okay, right? And so I got me a wife for me needs, right? 
It's not going to work that way. God gave you a wife for her needs, to meet her needs. Oh, and it works the other way around, ladies. So look at that. Just leave that up there for a second. I builded me. I planted me. I made me. I got me. Yeah, you did. And that's the problem. (laughs) You know, Jesus said, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And Solomon has been listening to Oprah, and he's trying to find, he's trying to find himself. In fact, he's found himself a few times, and he's losing himself. That's what happens here. When you get me and me alone, that's cause for concern for sure. How about build it for others? Oh, what a concept. How about gather something for somebody else? How about build a, a home in India for, for orphan kids? I tell you what, you will not be miserable. You'll be filled with joy. Do not live for yourself. It's the root of all kinds of trouble. So back to the text. So to sum it up, he just says, whether it was wine, women, or song, He says, whether it was uh, impressive accomplishments that are morally neutral, he said, it was for me, and it was all self-centered. Truth be told, he says, it all got old, left me wanting something more. Meaningless, chasing after air, nothing profited, nothing gained. And here's why. Next uh, section then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom, trying to understand all of this craziness, okay? Now he's going to come up with some conclusions. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, at least, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me too. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this is so meaningless. (laughs) For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of this is meaningless, chasing after air. Okay, so let's talk about this. We've seen the emptiness of pleasure seeking. And now the problem of death. The certainty of death. Note takers, okay? Um, Time for more pondering. He's going to draw some conclusions here about his grand experiment to find uh, contentment and meaning in this life and uh, his experience thus far. Here we go. So uh, first conclusion, number one, he wants you to know that his search was an exhaustive one by nature. It was full scale, no holds barred, in-depth, comprehensive, far-reaching, all-out, sweeping, no stone unturned search for meaning because he thinks that you're sitting there 
saying, well, maybe he didn't try this. And maybe in my case, it would be different, right? I could find satisfaction this way or that way. He's saying, listen, his first conclusion is this. If I cannot find meaning in all of this, trust me on this. No one will be able to do it. Verse 12, he says, to every one of his royal successors, he, <laughs> whoever comes after him, he can say, been there, done that, a hundred times bigger and better than that. So don't, just, just go, don't even try it because it's not going to work. You're only going to find it, not under the sun, but above the sun, in the eternal perspective with God. He says, just trust me. Believe me, I'm not lying to you. Look at what was on one day's provision out of 1 Kings chapter 4. One day in the life of Solomon just for food. The daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels, 9,000 pounds of flour and 300 bushels, 13,500 pounds of cornmeal, also 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry, enough to feed 15 to 20,000 people. This was a grand experiment. This guy was doing things like you've never seen or could imagine. And he's saying, sir, I didn't miss anything. This is just one day. This is just one day. I wasn't even trying. We're not even talking about all his gold and his silver and all the palatial estates and the gardens and the pools and all of this paradise that he's doing. He's saying, I didn't miss anything. The second conclusion there, oh, he also said, you know, and by the way, you know, I had a harem. I had a harem. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And also the ancient... Middle Eastern kings did. Do you know how many pairs of shoes that is in the palace? <laughs> 19,000. I asked Siri, she's a girl, what are the average, what, what is the average amount of pairs of shoes that a woman currently has today? The answer is 19. Right. That includes, and there's a list of wedges, flip-flops, yeah, words I can't even pronounce nor know what they mean. All right, so I'm just telling you, wow. Uh, uh, he's just saying, look, you're going to go down that road with the women and, and the whole lust thing? Listen, I had a little bit of a problem myself. And I had like 300 princesses. They were foreign women, foreign princesses he married. He said, it didn't work. It wasn't in the food, the banqueting, the palacing, uh, all of that. It just didn't work. So the second conclusion, he says, I've got some good news, I guess. 
He says, because every time he has good news, it's sort of good news, right? It's the best news he can find in a dungeon. And so he says, listen, because he's not connected to Christ. He's not connected to God. He doesn't have an eternal perspective. So what's the, what good news are you going to tell us? So he says, okay, walk in wisdom, he says there. He says, it's better than doing dumb stuff. At least wise people have eyes in their head. They can see what's going on. They can see the obstacles of life and maneuver around them. But foolish people are blind and they keep stumbling into trouble. And then thirdly, he says, uh, but don't get too excited. But in the long run, it doesn't matter to him without an eternal perspective, without life after the grave, right? He says, it doesn't matter whether you were walking around stumbling into things and wrecking your life or whether you had eyes in your head and you lived a really good life because it doesn't matter because both wise and the fool are going to die. So he's like, oh man, that really bummed me out. What bummed him out about it? He said, that's what he's saying. That totally made me just be grieved. He said, I hated Life. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Why? Because, the, listen, he's thinking this. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I'm making smart choices with my money, the fool squandering his. I'm disciplined and hardworking, accomplishing things, big things. And the fool is lazy. He still lives at home and he's playing video games. He doesn't want to get a job. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you guys are awake out there. Some of you... I show kindness and patience. I hold my tongue, right? The fool explodes and has temper tantrums and says things he regrets. I do nice things for people. The fool just goes around making trouble. Everyone thinks well of me. They like me. I have people that that care about me. And no one can stand that fool over there. And guess what? The same fate of that fool will overtake me. I've got nothing on him. Nothing, I'm headed to the same cemetery as he is. That's what he's saying. That eternal perspective, what else do you have? So, you know, I can imagine him. He's driving in his royal chariot. He he passes uh, down some streets and he looks out and he sees some dirty-faced, lazy, good-for-nothing drunk who sprawled out under the tree talking to himself and panhandling. And then he realizes, I got nothing on him. We're both on the same boat. Why bother? Why bother? If there's no God, and if there's no heaven, and if there's no redemption, and if there's no blood of Christ, and if there's no resurrection, why bother? Paul the Apostle says, then eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die, and then it's all over. So you might as well have a good time. But Paul says, but Christ has raised from the dead, and so shall we, in like manner, who have put their faith and trust in him. Yes, so enter the gospel. Listen. Believers, with death out of the way, we have an assurance that every hard choice, every small obedience, 
every little action of self-denial, every cross-bearing, every time you hold your tongue in Jesus' name counts for something and does advance you and will be rewarded and does matter, you see? So we don't say we hate life. Life can be hard for us, but we love that whole discipline process because it matters. It will make a difference between the wise and the fool, those who accept Christ and, and live with wisdom, there'll be difference. They will, there will be a difference, my friend, on judgment day. Trust me, I will look at you on this day. You can look at me and I will say, I told you so. All right? <laughs> I'm telling you, just remember these words. All right? Because those Christians who made harder choices and were more faithful according to their God-given ability than other Christians will shine brighter and have a greater reward. It says so. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. There will be Christians who get there as escaping through the flames. So it does matter. Happy to be there, but not much more. Can you imagine the applause that some of these brothers and sisters are going to get and, and the reward of stewardship over cities in the new world to come, in the millennial kingdom. The honor afforded you. Why? Because you made different choices than somebody who was foolish, a foolish steward. So for us, we're like, yeah, meaningful, meaningful, everything, thoughts, words, deeds. Take note, they all matter. And the joy that comes from knowing Today, I submitted myself to God, and I said no to the devil. Counted, cha-ching, something happened, right? But where there's no cha-ching and nothing matters, why bother? Why take the high road? I don't make any sense. That's what Solomon says. That's how I hated life. What's, what's good about life? So Solomon's not in a gospel state of mind. Obviously. So back to our wayward king. But he's saying, but wait, there's more to hate about life. <laughs> 18 through 23. We're almost there. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun. All those things that, that he loved. Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or fool. Yet he's going to have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill and money under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked a day for it. This too makes me crazy. And a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, his pain and grief, even at night, his mind can't rest. This too is meaningless. Poor guy. I just want to reach out and share the gospel with him, you know? <laughs> Smartest guy in the world, honored by God, knew the Lord, knows the Lord, Backslidden, he's lost all of his faculties there. So the emptiness of pleasure-seeking, check. 
the problem of death, check, and now the source of despair, which is helplessness. So the facts are hard enough to, to bear, the fact that there's nothing that Solomon can do to stave off death, right? But the big thing is now he's powerless to control that which he invested in life, okay, after he dies. So verse 23 says, here's what's keeping me up at night, all right? Here's what's really upsetting me about this, not so much the death part. It's knowing that I spent an entire life managing things, investing in things, and I'm going to have to be forced to leave them, the palaces, the summer homes, the garden paradise, the servants, the choirs, the horses. He had 4,000 horses. The savings account, I have to leave it to someone else. Who's going to drive my Mercedes-Benz C-class chariots, all right? He wants to know. And here's the sting. Here's the sting for him. What kind of guy is he going to be? Well, someone's going to get it all. I, I, I just want to know what kind of man gets all my stuff, somebody wise. Verse 19 says, is he going to be wise? Is he going to keep everything well-maintained? Is he going to treat the servants well with the same kind of heart that I had for these? He won't even know them. He won't know their stories. He, uh, is he going to feed the horses the special diet that I devised? You know, or will it be a fool? Is it going to be a fool who gets control of things? Let's everything just kind of fall apart on the estate and disrepair treats the servants poorly, spends all my money on dumb stuff for himself. I just think, I picture Solomon thinking of the guy, you know, sitting in Solomon's hot tub, lighting imported cigars with $100 bills. That's how he pictures. He says, that $100 bill, I worked hard for that, sir. And I got some fool in there. You know, what's he going to do? I, I mean, he's got some, probably a few of those women he care, actually cared about, you know, and uh, he's going to lose them as well, right? And he can do nothing about it. And so, and guess what? You, you know why he's upset? Because he knows Rehoboam is his son and he knows he's a fool. And he is a fool and he's going to prove it to us. But this is why he's saying, I'm going to leave it all to Rehoboam. Yikes. Well, don't you wonder, don't you wonder, if you're 50 years or older, don't you wonder who's going to get the house, how they're going to divide some of the little inheritance you're able to leave? How about the family business? You've got a family business, maybe, right? I have had my share of angst over this as well, even as Christians. Yeah, I'm having another birthday this month again. <laughs> right? So now I'm starting to think, you know, a little bit, you know, what happens when it's my turn, when my number's up? Who's going to pass her? Who's behind here? Oh, oh. Angst to the deepest degree. So you got I'm the dad. I'll start with 20 people. And then the Lord says, I'm the father. <laughs> and they belong to me. 
and it's my interest. And then Paul says, for I know whom I believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So Pastor Ross, the Holy Spirit speaking, entrust God's work back to God, and he'll take care of the details, and they'll be good. So the Christian knows we serve a God who's in control, and he's a good God. And not only did he, does he care about our interests, what we care about in this life and when we're with him. How many times did he say, hundreds of years after King David died, for David's sake, I will relent here. For David's sake, David's been dead for 300 years and you're still making decisions based on for David's sake? Yeah. First of all, David's been with him for 300 years, so he's still making decisions in light of David's heart. What would make David happy 300 years there? So he's thinking, he'll think about you when you're gone and what would have made you happy. He really will. But if you don't have that eternal perspective, then you're stuck wondering what's going to happen because there's no one in charge. But we know the one who's in full control, and he's good. So let's finish up. There's a couple sentences here. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. Yay! We have a shout-out to God. Uh, For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Very good. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering it all up and handing it all over to the one who pleases God. This too, I don't understand it. Meaningless chasing after the wind. So that ends uh, chapter two. So here's the uh, shout out here is the temporary fix. No takers, the temporary fix. So he's going to say the best thing you could do is make the most of a bad situation. And he's really going to say carpe diem, seize the day. That's the Latin expression, you know, to make the most of every opportunity. So it doesn't surprise any Christian in here that the little ray of sunshine that comes in here at the end of chapter two comes as the mere mention of the name of God. And so Uh, Here he comes, the best he can offer, since we're all going to die, he says, you might as well enjoy some simple pleasures in life, and that only God can make possible for you. And he does it for some, but not all, and he excludes himself. So he he recognizes some people have this relationship with this God, and, uh, you know, they get to enjoy their lives. I hate life, personally, he says. But there are some people who have this relationship with God, and he allows them to find some kind of happiness. Well, for me, it's hard to believe that he can expect anyone to enjoy life after his last little tirade in the previous verses. Uh, But he says, okay, there's some good news here. He says, uh, there is a God. Without him, forget about it. But with God, you know, verses 25 and 26, um, for the lucky few who please him, you know, uh, God can be gracious and allow you to enjoy some little pleasures, even though you're on the Titanic. Now, he says, listen, 
God is so gracious. He, he does allow people, all people. He is kind. It says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain and blessing on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. God is a good and gracious God, even to evil and ungrateful men. So here's what he says. As God enables you, and this works for Christians too. As God enables you, in your daily routine, find some simple joy. And he, he mentions specifically mealtimes and work. And what the commentators say is really he's saying about day-to-day ordinary life, find there are simple joys and simple pleasures and, and uh, maximize those. Now, when he says to eat and drink, he's not giving you a license to be, uh, or is he recommending gluttony or drunkenness? He's already ruled that out, um, right? So he's saying, listen, appreciate the little respite a meal uh, gives you. Uh, making and enjoying uh, a delicious, good-for-you meal, have your glass of wine if you're not a problem drinker uh, with a big Italian dinner. But really when he's talking about finding simple joy in a meal, he's really talking about the reference to family and table fellowship and laughter and enjoying one another, these kinds of things. And then he says, take satisfaction in your work. God enables you. Uh, One writer put it this way, a significant and often overlooked way that we serve God is in our everyday tasks. Martin Luther understood this when he wrote, the mother who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the pastor who's called to pray. Not because she may be singing a Christian worship song as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. And uh, Martin Luther, 1500s. So then he says, the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good quality shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. The New Testament tells us, do your job serving God, not your boss. You're doing your work as unto the Lord because everything we do, another writer said, to create, fix, design, or to build, to deliver, to provide a service touches lives and allows for progress. A job well done pleases God and can bring delight no matter what kind of work we do. Jesus, the Son of God, God in a body, worked a trade. God worked a trade for many years. He had whining customers and slow-paying customers and picky customers and splinters and slow deliveries and all of that kind of stuff. There's dignity in work. So the world here has caught on to this simple pleasures thing because the world for, you know, whatever, they're under the sun. So they love this advice and it works. It works for them until the Titanic goes up and they go down, but it does work while you're on the Titanic to take joy. So they love, you know, and and Christians too, as I said, I I prescribe to this. Only it's better for Christians because we're not on the Titanic. Either way, it works to enjoy a sunset. Why not? 
for us, we're like, wow, look at what the beauty and majesty of God's handiwork. You know, to take a blanket, lay out in the backyard, look up at the stars. Simple pleasure. But for us, oh, it means so much more. It brings so much delight. Hiking through the woods, taking a mental health day, planting a garden, drinking good coffee, splurging once in a while on and just a crazy decadent dessert, like chocolate ganache on top of chocolate ganache, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> with chocolate ganache sauce on it. Find little things that bring you peace. Barb and I will take, I just, we are just easily entertained. We just find peace in little things. We'll take a bike ride. We, we, we'll go find a new lunch place. We went to Sonoma and we wanted to sit on, a, on the sidewalk, a patio kind of thing, and eat pasta. And, and, and it's just the little things in life. We drive in the car and we sing uh, oldies and we see who can get all the words right, because we sing, we will listen to 70s music from when we were uh, with dinosaurs, we're uh, pterodactyl, we're flying in the skies, uh, but these are songs we haven't really necessarily heard for 30 years, but still the words are right there, right, but we have this contest, right, and so, but these are just small little enjoyments in life, then, you know, Christians, man, I know a lot of sad Christians who just, you know, uh, Eeyore Christians, you know, they're kind of like, they like Ecclesiastes. They're, they're like, go for it, Solomon, we're all going to die. <laughs> I hate life. I don't want to get out of bed, you know. Yeah, no, 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 no. So he says, listen, <laughs> I have down here, and I have done it. But just for fun, fun little thing. To talk in a fake accent once in a while to strangers and see how long you can pull it off. <laughs> My problem is I'll start out good and then it goes into Chinese or something. You know, it goes from British to, to Thai. You know, it's just wrong. Or the other thing, one little thing I do have written down here and I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but I have Starbucks names for myself. Right, so when I go, to, so when I go to Starbucks, I just make up a name, and 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 just for fun, I don't know why I do it, but it makes me happy. Okay, <laughs> Bartholomew. I mean, come on, who? You know, no offense if that's your name, but you know, I've been Ebenezer, I've been all these different kinds, and I just like to see their faces, you know, and, or or I really like this one. I just say rock. For the rock, you know, the rock. Well, rock Hudson, you know. I passed through the church with the rock, right? So whatever, okay. I told you it doesn't take much, but you know what? When you have Christ in your life, life is fun. Life is fun. You find little things. Birds are chirping. You're happy. The sun's coming up. You're going to have a birthday party. People are going to give you presents. I'm looking at my wife. So here's the deal. Seize the day for Jesus. Now with the gospel, I can tell you more than just look at the stars. I can tell you, pray with somebody. Encourage a believer with a scripture tonight. Visit the elderly. Volunteer to help at your church. 
Sorry. <laughs> Memorize the scripture. Share the gospel. Tell your mom and dad how much you love them. Well, what if you called your mom tonight? Said, Mama, I was just thinking about you. I love you. I'm just telling you as a dad, when kids do stuff like that, they have no idea the power of that. Amen? Someone else enjoyed that over there. Say no to sin and yes to Jesus. I'm telling you, you do those little things like that, you're not going to be hating life. You're going to be loving life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Fathers, thank you for your great love. We thank you for this gospel track that just puts it right in our face and says, there is no life apart from Christ. Help us to remember that, Lord, we get the big picture, but that sometimes we lose it in the details. Remind us again in Christ's name. Amen. It's been said, and I, I believe it, that many Christians live quiet lives of desperation. If you find some things have become numb for you, mechanical, and lost kind of the joy, two things. Increase your, your Bible reading and listening to the Word and prayer time. And secondly, increase your service to others. That'll bring it back. For sure, guaranteed, 100%. Increase your time with him and increase your time serving outside of building me, making me, getting me, remember, in the sermon. Stop that and make it building for others, serving others, gathering for others. Guarantee 100%. You'll feel better. Heavenly Father, you put it out there for us. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it kind of takes us to bang our head against the, the wall over and over again. <laughs> and then you say, here it is. Just pick the cup up and drink of it. And uh, give us the strength to do that, Lord, consistently, daily, to look to you, to increase our time with you and in the word, and to increase our serv serving others in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you Sunday, Mark chapter 6. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.